Roundtable. Brought to you by the Simple Investor, making the world of real estate investment simple. The Free For All Roundtable, round two. I said one, but it's two. And it's also commercial free. Somebody said, how come round one's longer? It's not. They're the same length. Uh, let me introduce you to the folks who are on the panel today. Uh, let's see. Bob Reed is here from Veritas Communications. We've got Tim Hudak, who is the designate, CEO designate of the Ontario Real Estate Association. I didn't know you guys could get so technical. <laughs> Me either. All right. <laughs> but it's true. Uh, Evan Solomon, Bell Media's National Affairs Specialist. And Mike Bendixson is here, having run the half marathon yesterday. Good for him. Bravo. How does that feel now? Feels good. It was fun. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know what? The folks at the uh, Scotiabank Waterfront, Toronto Waterfront Marathon, did a great job and uh, was able to raise a little bit of money for the Toronto Humane Society along the way. So uh, all in all, it was a great day. Thank and, you. And, and he hasn't brushed our... his hair since, actually. No, we hey, set a couple of records yesterday. You didn't. Uh, one guy ran the marathon in two hours and 31 minutes while pushing a baby carriage. Yeah, you didn't think about taking Stella? <laughs> no, I thought about riding in the baby carriage. That would have been a lot easier. I wouldn't have had to do all that training for it, but... Uh, yeah, just a, a great day. It was great just being along, you know, the roads in Toronto and seeing all the thousands of people out supporting and cheering everyone along. It, it was yeah. cool. It and was there was really also cool. an eighty-five-year-old who ran the marathon in yeah. three hours and fifty-seven minutes. I'm still living to tell the story. Crazy. Congratulations, Ed Whitlock. All right, let's get to the news of the day. At this very moment, in a courtroom, they are arguing. A group of lawyers is arguing that the Cleveland Indians should be barred from calling themselves the Indians and using their logo. And of course. All this is of the moment because the big game is tonight. Tim Hudak, you have a mischievous smile on your face. <laughs> I hope they win. What? I, think, I hope that they win this court case. That would be international news. It would be hilarious. Of the dumbest and, variety. And we got to break the Indians. This will be a I remember when I played high school sports, I wouldn't change my socks. If I was on a roll and wear the same socks for every game, the Indians are doing well, make them take their uniforms off. The Jays will win. Uh, Bob Reed, this reminds me of when Madonna was practically arrested. She was served at one of her concerts. Yeah, yeah, I remember it's, that. It's just internationally. I, I get the point. I totally get the point about these team names. I'd like to see them change, but th I feel silly about this. Yeah, there, there's a legitimate issue at the heart of this, but the the tactic is trumping everything, and that's that's the mistake that gets made time and time again. I mean, this is going to be what is this game 187 of the series, and now suddenly it's an issue. If this has been an issue all the way through, uh, the, the, the timing is, is way off on this. And, you know, we're not seeing First Nations groups going to court and trying to force an injunction in this circumstance. Why? Because they get it. They recognize that if they did that, if they disrupted everything, the story, the reaction, the anger, the every emotion that comes out would be about the tactic and the issue at the heart of it would be lost. Mike Bendixson, is this uh, a blight on our city? You know what? I got to be honest with you. I don't understand what you guys are talking about. I think this is brilliant timing on their behalf. You know, we talk about how these things need to be changed. Why not use the World Series as an opportunity to get global attention for this story and say, listen, enough is enough. We need to change the, the, some of these team names. Why not bring it out now? I mean, Bob, because, I'm surprised. Because that won't be the discussion. That won't what is be what be people the discussion are discussion. It'll be it the British, what... Canadians, exactly. or trying to tell us. Imagine if yeah. they did. That. So imagine if the Edmonton Eskimos played an NFL game. Well, they'd get killed. But then an American <laughs> court said they couldn't come close to the Eskimos. We'd go crazy. we defend our country. I, I, this I, is an I embarrassment so. for us. I think Mike Ben Dixon's absolutely right. The, 
Chief Wahoo, the Indians. I think these names are so dated. They're so gross. There's no they're argument about that. Def- I understand. So, so you you use a marketing tactic to get maximum attention. You know, I know there's going to be negative feedback, but this is a moment that is generating. That's nah, nonsense. That- It'd be barely news in the states unless we're successful, which we won't be. This is all about Canadians trying to feel superior to the Americans and lecture them. Remember when that Tamil group took over the Gardner Expressway and shut it down and was threatening to keep it closed all the way through Monday morning and it dragged on into the middle of the night? That was quite the issue that they brought to the table, wasn't it? Yeah, genocide. I can't remember what the issue was. I just remember that a bunch of people shut down the Gardner and everybody was pissed off about it. Yeah, well, and it was genocide. I mean, they were being totally wiped out in their homeland. All right. Uh, Tim, I'll start with you because you represent real estate agents, if I understand your new mandate. I do. I, I don't understand the hand-wringing over this new practice of putting a sign in front of a house that says, coming soon. Yeah, I mean, no, it's I don't pre- think... very precious, but I don't understand the threat. No, I don't think there's any hand-wringing over it uh, at all. I think it's a tactic that's going to actually attract attention. Look, so Deb and I are actually selling our place in Toronto. She owned it, and then I married into it, and it's gone up in value. And as soon as we let it be known that this house was open in a good neighborhood in Toronto, holy smokes, number of people who wanted to come in and see it. I think this is a good marketing tactic. I think the only complaint you see here is from the regulator who says, make sure the information is actually on the sign about who the real estate agent is and when it goes on the Uh, listing. Would you have considered selling without an agent? Sure. Oh, look, we had bully offers, right? We had an offer that, um, oh, without an agent. No, I needed the agent for the advice. (laughs) Sorry. I thought you meant without going MLS. We actually had offers that came in for higher than we were asking, but we decided to see what the uh, bidding process would be. But no, I'm glad I had the uh, agent uh, there who actually gave us some good advice on what the home's actually worth. Okay, Mike Bendixson, do you see a problem with this? No, I don't see a problem with this. There are far bigger issues that face the real estate market in Toronto, one of them being, as we touched on in round one, which is, you know, bully uh, bids that come in, uh, listing the house for far less than what it's actually going to sell for. I mean, we had we saw the same thing, I believe, in the auto industry where they had to come up with, you know, actual prices of what the vehicles are worth uh, in order to sell them uh, effectively to the public. And I think that's what the real estate board should be looking at uh, as their foremost mandate in terms of, you know, not allowing these bully bids, not listing a house for 599000 knowing that it's going to go for well over a million dollars. You know, people out there want to be able to get into the Toronto real estate market, and it's near impossible unless you've got millions of dollars in the bank. And it's getting even more difficult now with the new mortgage changes, right? Any last thoughts on this before we move on? Uh, I, I would just like to say, having sold houses, you know, like moved and had a house sell, and I've sold with an agent or without an agent. You know, I'm just amazed that the technology system has not disrupted the whole notion of an agent. It's a very expensive part of selling a house. And I, and I know there's lots of ads saying your, your real estate agent is very, very important. But is, there, is it really that important? I mean, you can now buy insurance without a broker. And I understand brokers get disrupted. But I'm really surprised that um, given how hot the market in Toronto is, why people still need to pay, you know, four or five percent for an agent uh, when they know what their value is worth. There's kind of a there's a sense of it. Uh, I'm amazed that they do that. And then, of course, the agents, I think they put up these signs out so they don't have to list them on the MLS. And it gives them an advantage over other agents. If you're going to play by the rules, play by the rules. But if not, I think people should just cut that out. Yeah, well, you don't have to, but I'm going to make a couple hundred grand more because I'm using an agent. They gave me good advice when to list, what to say, the pictures to put up to make the place look better, to get traffic through there. We could have listed on Thanksgiving weekend. We've had a lot of traffic. So, look, you don't have to do that, that, Evan, but I'm going to make a couple hundred grand more for my house because I used a good agent. 
I agree, but with that inf- that agent will make fifty grand. Could you have paid? Would you have got all? So the agent's going to make one and a half percent. So someone, get your, Evan, get your facts five, straight five on this. So the agent's going to make the agent's going to make one and a half percent. He knocked the rate down. Now? So the guy's going to make one and a half percent because he knocked his rate down. We asked him to on that as well. He did it as part of the deal. So negotiate with your agent, but it's a lot less than you're saying, Evan. Okay, uh, there is a man on death row in Montana. He's a Canadian, and he thinks he'll have better luck appealing to the federal government under Justin Trudeau than he would have under Harper in having his sentence commuted from the death penalty to life in prison. Uh, Is there any hope for that, Evan? I am very surprised. You know, I'm not surprised Stefan Young's taken this because it's a matter of consistency, right? He says, you know, I got to fight for everybody, not just for the people we like. But, you know, this guy's on death row because of a multiple murder. I don't think this happens. I just don't think it happens, and I'm surprised. This is exactly the kind of issue conservatives would love to hold liberals up for, championing a guy on death row. Bob, do you think he has any luck, or is this government going to be as deaf to these appeals as the previous one? I think we'll have to wait and see. Um, I do think there's a, there's a valid point in consistency, as, as Evan just said. I mean, if the, if the official position is... Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the place, if there's a Canadian on death row, then we will go to bat for them. Uh, I can understand that. But I also share the sentiment that uh, you look at this case, there are so many cases where you look at it, you go, why are we even wasting our time with this? And why are we saying, sure, ship them up here and we'll uh, burden the co- or t- uh, shoulder the burden, rather, of, uh, of the cost of, of housing him until he dies in prison? Okay, this next topic, let me start with you, Mike Bendixson, because you're a new dad and an avid golfer. There's a woman who says she was told to cover up while breastfeeding at a golf club. Um, do you think this is a one-off, or do you think this would happen more frequently if women were breastfeeding at golf clubs? Uh, I don't know that it has anything to do with the golf club per se. I mean, they were at a dinner party or some kind of an event there. It wasn't as though it was a post-round, you know, round and not that that matters. I would say that I think that maybe this story's been elaborated on just a little bit. I mean, I, you know, with my wife and our experiences, has always been that we've tried to, you know, hide it as much as possible just because that's what makes my wife most comfortable. She doesn't want everybody out there, you know, having to, you know, avoid staring at her boobs. And I think that uh, maybe this guy came over and said, listen, if you want, I can help you, you know, not necessarily, you know, shelter you with this tablecloth, but offer it as a blanket to put over you or something like that. And by the way, if you feel more comfortable, the basement uh, is completely separated from this event. And if you'd like that, I don't really see people sitting around having dinner, walking up to the maitre d' saying, excuse me, that woman over there is making me ill while I'm eating my chicken breast. Um, You know, can you please go and do something? I don't see that happen. I think maybe she blew this out of proportion. Yeah, and this has gone from um, man bites dog to dog bites man territory, right? This is more of a news or an item in 2010, not so much today. I think we've accommodated this. And I think... You know, when I read the whole story, I think she's going too far in demanding sensitivity training for everybody who works at the golf course. That strikes me as activism rather than a simple complaint. We talked earlier this morning to a uh, journalism professor at York University who says in 2005, one of his students called him. She was at the time working for people. She said, Donald Trump uh, made an unwanted sexual advance. What should I do? The two of them agreed she should stay quiet about it. She's now one of his accusers. Bob Reed, I realize that might have been very damaging to accuse Donald Trump back in the day, but... I, two journalists not going with a story because it's injurious to one journalist makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I share that. But at the same time, I think this is just another example of the circumstance that women have found themselves in for, for so long. It's it's shades of the Gamashi allegations all over again, where this is this is the, the first decision point that gets made when, uh, when someone... Uh, 
says that they've been victimized is, do I put everything at risk? Do I, do I really want to go through what I've seen happen too many times? Do I really want to have myself put on trial when I'm accusing someone who's, who's in a position of power and influence? It's, it's sad. Uh, it's wrong. But I think it's another example. Evan, did they make the right decision back in the day? I never judge people on, on if they come forward when they have these sexual assault things because they're very, very personal. They're not obliged to come forward. It could be, it could, it, you know, it's very consuming and very expensive to sue a guy like Donald Trump. And it may be, a, it may have been an absolutely devastating decision. And she may have said, I want to, you know, I, I need a career. I'm not judging her for not coming forward um, because that's a huge, huge decision. Nor am I judging her for coming forward now. The whole story of sexual assault is sometimes it takes a long time for people to recognize that it's hard to come forward. It's hard to realize this is going to be public. There's a lot of shame. So, no, I don't blame her. Guys, thank you all very much. Great debate, great discussion. And, of course, the debate continues through the day on News Talk 1010. Also, we will be the first to report to you the result of a court hearing happening right now as a Canadian activist goes up against the Cleveland Indians. It's 9 o'clock.